want to share a message today that really is just kind of the heartbeat of this house. Kind of as the senior pastor of this house, I feel like that's my, that's my role, is to be the visionary leader to come in and just give you vision for what this, this church is all about uh, as a whole. What is, what is the heartbeat of our Savior's church? It is to reach people and build lives, but I want to get as practical as I possibly can today because um, you are a part of something that's much bigger than what you see, but the part you play is, is vital. And uh, every person in here has a role in this church, has a part. You're part of the body. Every person does, no matter if you're brand new or you've been here since the very beginning in 2014, you have a part to play in the building of God's body and in the advancement of God's kingdom in Crowley and in all this region all around here. And I, and I want to help you do that. But I, I want to do this today. I want to I I give you one big thought, and we're going to rally around this whole big thought today, and that is this. Here's the thought. You cannot reach what you cannot see. You cannot reach what you cannot see. Can everybody say that with me? You cannot reach what you cannot see. Uh, that's, that's kind of the, the heartbeat of today's message is that you can't reach. We're going to be a, a church that reaches people, but you can't reach people if you can't see people. Uh, you've got to be able to see them. Months back, I was, um, I was uh, at, going through a drive-thru with my boys, and uh, where this restaurant is, is located in Jennings, uh, it's, it's when you come out of the drive-thru, it kind of, you, you, you come out on a really big main road, and that main road, of course, just there's a light that is like, as soon as you come out, there's a light that's right there. So there's always a backup of cars, just constantly always the case. And so I'm, I pull up and to the to the intersection, and I'm going to take a right to get in. And have you ever just been in those situations where, like, you want to get in, there's a whole line of cars, and you're just hoping that someone makes eye contact with you? Y'all know what I'm talking about? Like, you're just looking, and you're just kind of like, you, you know, like, me, me, you, me, me, me. And there was this moment where we were sitting at this light. There's a mom that's sitting in the driver's seat, and there's a little teenage girl that's right here in the passenger seat. And the mama is not looking at me. Y'all just know where you know somebody, they see you, but they don't want to see you. Like, they, they know you're there, but they ain't going to look at you because, so, so I'm, like, pleading with the teenage girl, like, come on, come on, let me in, let me in. My boys are in the back. My boys are like, come on, let us in. We've been sitting at this place for so long, nobody will let us in. And the teenager locked eyes on me. The little girl locked eyes on me. And so I, lo I saw her look over at her mama and, her, like, pointing at, hey, this is, this is, can you let them in? And mama was just death stare straight ahead. She wasn't doing it. She wasn't. She was not having it whatsoever. And they drove on past. And I, as a man of God and pastor, just blessed them. Bless them, Lord. Bless them. Bless them. That's what we do, right? And so, so the next strategy is you just try to creep out a little bit. Y'all know what I'm talking about? You just get your nose so far out there that they can't avoid you. Like you just. And the truth is, what ends up happening is. If you don't see them, then I'm not responsible for it. I, I, if, I, if I just don't have to look at you, then I don't have to do anything with it. But, but if I can get myself out there enough and you see me enough, now you've got a decision you've got to make. Either you're going to let me in or you're not. And the reason I bring that up is because it's, it's easier for us, I think, sometimes to turn a blind eye to everything that's going on around and just kind of stay in our own world. But how I many know God wants us to see as he sees? 
God wants to see things as he sees it. This is why it's so important, by the way, for us, and we're going to be doing this in the coming years, as, as especially as <clears throat> travel is now available more, but we want to expose our church to things that are happening, not just in our cities, but around the state, around the nation, and around the world, because the more you get outside of your world, the more you see the world in a different way. And, the way, and when you start seeing the world in a different way, how many know it changes you? I, I, I've, I've taken missions trip to some incredible places, and man, when you go into these places, it will wreck you, You just because you, you have to do something about it. But if I can't see you, I'm not responsible for you. And so today, I want to just encourage us to, uh, to be able to see. You cannot reach what you cannot see. And so I want us to uh, read a story today. It's a story of Jesus in, in John chapter 4. If you have your Bibles, you can open it up to John chapter 4. If not, you can turn your Bibles on, however that looks for you. And then we got the biggest Bible on the screen you've ever seen uh, right behind us. And so we're going uh, to put these scriptures up here as well. And it's John chapter 4, verse 27. This is the story of Jesus um, having an interaction with a Samaritan woman. Yeah, we know this parable as, or not parable, this story of Jesus and the woman at the well. Jesus was on his way. The disciples were on their way, and Jesus stops off at this well. His guys go on uh, without him, and he interacts with this woman. And I want you to see with me in, in verse 27 um, what, what's going to happen, because I, if you know the whole story, um, let me just catch you up a little bit on it. The woman is sitting there. Jesus is wanting to have really more than just a casual conversation. It's a divine conversation that's about to set up. This woman has been married a bunch of times. She's living with a guy right now. Jesus, as we know, knows that. And so Jesus just asks a simple question. Hey, can you give me some water? And, and then she says, well, why are you talking to me? Uh, not, not only did men not really talk to women, but Jews didn't talk to Samaritan. It was a racial thing that was going on there. But how you glad that when you read throughout scripture, Jesus breaks the gender barrier and the racial barrier. He always elevates women. Come on, somebody. Jesus always elevates women to places of leadership. This woman's going to go transform an entire city. And then he also breaks down the racial barrier because how many know, hey, newsflash, all races will be in heaven. So if you don't like them, eternity's going to be long. Like a long, long time. But I'm so grateful that Jesus came and he, brought, he broke down the division between white and black, men and women, young and old. And he came and he brought unity and he brought peace. And so in this moment, he's modeling something to not only to this woman, but he's even modeling something to the disciples that when I leave, I want you to make sure you get this, that we value women, that we value other races, that we value people. Because it's about people, we value all people. And so Jesus is having this really incredible conversation with her. And then he says, you know, you, don't, you not only have one husband or two or three or four or five. He starts reading her mail and she says this, I perceive to you to be a prophet. Well, really, <laughs> I bet so. And so in this moment, she has this divine interaction with the Son of God, of course, radically transforms her, her thinking and her mindset. And Jesus has this encounter with her. And how I many know one encounter with Jesus can change everything? Which, by the way, that's what we pray for every single Sunday that you come into this place. Because one moment with Jesus can change everything. And here we are in this moment. She has this incredible moment with him. And, and the disciples have been off getting some food. And they're on their way back. And I want you to see what happens here. It says in verse 27, And just as his disciples returned, they were surprised to find her talking with a woman. What is going on? But watch this. But no one asked. No one said anything out loud. What do you want? 
or why are you talking with her? So nobody said this out loud. Everybody's thinking it. Nobody's saying it. Verse 28, then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come. Everybody tell me what that next word. Come. Say it again. Come. See a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And they came out of the town and they made their way towards him. And meanwhile, so while that's going on, his disciples have a conversation with him. And they urge him, Rabbi, you need to eat something. We've been busy. We've been traveling. You need to eat. But he said to them, I've got food to eat that you don't know about. So they're going to be like, what? Wait, wait, hold up, hold up. Who brought him some food? Somebody get him some food that we don't know. I mean, they just came back from, from food. What's, what's going on here? And they're missing something completely. In verse 33, it says, Then his disciples said to each other, Could someone have brought him food? And verse 34 says this, My food, Jesus says, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying, it's still four months until harvest? Now watch this, and this is the part that I want us to focus in on. I tell you, Everybody say those three words. Come on, say it one more time. Okay, look at somebody on your road. Anybody sleeping? Tell them that. Open your eyes. <laughs> Listen, I know y'all got the most comfortable chairs of any of our churches. I'm a bit jealous. Open your eyes and, and look. Open your eyes and look. And look what he tells them to look at. Look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. We can become so focused on what we're doing that we can often miss what God is doing. We can be so focused on our needs that we miss what's on God's hearts. And he's saying, hey, guys, hey, open your eyes. Look around. The fields are white for harvest. Now, now that was an agricultural term. Because they would say, well, we got four months. We got plenty of time. And he's like, no, 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 no. It's go time now. It's not harvest isn't in four months. It's, it's right now. You need, to, you need to open your eyes. And I am convinced that if Jesus was standing here at our Savior's Church Crowley and he had a message that he wanted to tell his church, it would be open your eyes. Open your eyes. Open your eyes because I want you to see something. Now, as y'all can all tell, I wear glasses. Do I have any other uh, four-eyed people in the room? Come on, any uh, four-eyed? Come on, we unite right here. We all blind. Okay. So I don't know if you remember, you probably do, when you had to get your first, like, real eye exam, like the, the one where they declared that you needed glasses. I'm just telling you right now, they need to prepare you for that appointment. They do not prepare you at whatsoever for that appointment. You go, you sit in the chair, and of course you're covering your eyes, and you know, you're looking at the letters, and you're doing all that. And that was all fine. You know, I did all that in elementary school. I was all cool. What, what I was not expecting, though, is they get you to put your chin on this little thing, and then they have you look inside of it, and then they're like, open your eyes really big, and like, so like you're looking, and then they do this. <laughs> Any of y'all know what I'm talking about? Scares the heck out of you, and they don't even prepare you. At least they didn't for me. I didn't know they were going to be whispering stuff into my eyes. I thought maybe my ears, but not my eyes. And then they, they do it to the other one. And then they put these drops in your eyes. Y'all ever had that? 
You feel like you're having an angelic visitation that's now happening. All of the lights are brighter. You're trying to figure out what's going on. They do all of this testing on my eyes. They're doing all these different the glaucoma and all these crazy things that were words that I only knew of guacamole, but I didn't know glaucoma. I didn't know what was going on. All this stuff was happening, and then all of a sudden, the doctor comes in, and he looks at me, and he says, well, um, I have some, some kind of bad news. I said, okay, what's up? He said, well, you're nearsighted. And uh, I proceeded to tell him, I, I just want you to know, you're wrong. <laughs> and he said, what are you talking about? I said, no, I can't see far. I'm farsighted. He said, no, you're nearsighted. I said, no, you, you, you're, listen, I can't see billboards. I can't see street signs. I can't see far. I'm farsighted. He said, no, you're nearsighted. I said, dude, we're going to have a little powwow here because I'm telling you, I am, near, I am farsighted. He said, no, no, you don't understand. The way that we describe it is we, we give it a name based off of what you can do. I'm like, well, that's weird. You don't go into a doctor and your, head, your leg hurts and they tell you, no, your arm's good. They don't tell you that. Like, my leg's broke. <laughs> it's not like my arm's good. It's so weird. I don't know why they do that. But regardless, they, they describe what you can do. So I have the ability, um, if I take my glasses off, I have the ability to see myself. I can see my iPad right here. You know, I can see all that. Here's the only problem. I can't see you. <laughs> All of you in here, you're kind of blurry. I, I, I cannot see you well. But, of course, once I put my, my glasses on, I can see you. I can see the screen. I can see all the stuff around me. The reason I bring that up is because I think nearsightedness has crept into the church. And I think we've got an ability to see our needs and our comforts and our passions and our problems. The problem is, though, when you're only consumed with your own need, you can't see anybody else's. And God is wanting us to open our eyes to say, hey, listen, the church has become nearsighted where it's all about me and my problems and my wants and my desires. And God, what do you want to do in me? And what's all? But it's impossible to see anybody else in need if you're only consumed with what is your needs. But how many know when Jesus came on this earth, he wasn't just consumed with what his needs is. He says, I came to serve and to give my life as a ransom. And how many know as followers of Christ, we follow the same model? That I've came not just for myself and what I need, but what from others. So here's, I want to give you a little bit of a way to evaluate if you're struggling with nearsightedness spiritually. I'm going to ask this question, and based off of the answer of this question, we'll maybe help a little bit to tell if you are nearsighted or not. And here's the question. If God answered all of my prayers, would it change the world or just my world? If God answered every one of my prayers that I prayed this week, would it just change my world or would it change the world? If it would just change your world, you're probably nearsighted. And if it would change the world, then we've probably got the heart of God. Because I'm, I'm here to tell, you, to tell you, God does want to answer your prayers, but how many know he wants to answer your prayers so then that you can be the answer to the prayers that he's praying because God is praying for his church, and he's praying for those who are lost. I'm, I'm, I'll prove it to you. So I want to give us three thoughts here today on being a church that sees. Today, I'm titling this message, A Church That Sees. That's a, the, message of my, uh, the title of my message today, A Church That Sees. And there's, I think there's three things that God wants us as our Savior's church to see. Number one is this, his purpose. God wants us to be a church that sees his purpose. His purposes. Anybody in here like to uh, travel? 
Any, do, I, do I got any travel people? I love to travel. My wife loves to travel. We are, we are a traveling family. We love going places and, and experiencing new things and new places. Last year, as I said, um, we were blessed with a sabbatical. And so Lindsay had this incredible idea. My youngest son sees a doctor in Colorado, and uh, we have to go every year to go see this doctor. We normally fly there for a day and then come back. And so this last year, because we were on sabbatical, we didn't have anywhere to go, anywhere to do. She was like, let's do a road trip. And I'm like, what are you smoking? Like, I have, we have three boys. Like, a road trip. She's like, oh, it'd be awesome. There's, like, no pressure, no timeline. Like, let's just, let's just get on the road, and we'll drive all the way to Colorado. And I'm like, dear God, do we want to stay married? And so, so you know what? I, I stood my ground as any great man did, and we went on a road trip. And um, <laughs> come on, husbands. Y'all understand what that's like. And so... So we loaded up, and we took off on this 20-plus-hour road trip to, to, um, to Colorado and stopped at different places. And so my job is I'm kind of like the researcher of the family. Like, that's what my, my, my wife brings the fun. I bring, the, like, the practical. Like, I'm like, this is what we're going to do. We, got, we know we only got a certain budget. We gotta, we gotta, everything's got a gotta plan. I'm a planner and all that kind of stuff. So, so I start researching because we're going to stay 14 days. So now I'm like, man, 14 days. So I'm thinking about all the different places we got to go. So over the course of 14 days, we stayed at nine different Airbnbs and hotels, nine different ones because we were moving and oh, it was just a, a bit craziness. And so, um, so pray for your brother because I had to load and unload that stuff nine times. And I came back and I still love Jesus. So can we just give God praise for that right now? And we're still married. Praise the Lord. And our children are still alive. And so the Lord is good. So uh, a part of my thing is, you know, when I'm looking up hotels and Airbnbs, uh, I'm, I'm looking for all of the different, you know, things. I'm, I'm looking for the reviews. How many of y'all read reviews? Review, I'm looking at reviews. I want to know reviews. I want to know what other people said about the place. I'm looking at amenities. I'm looking at the location. I'm looking at restaurants and activities around that place. I'm looking at the price. Come on, that's a big one right there. I'm looking, at the pre- I'm looking at all these different things that are on there because, you know, my boys want to know where we stand and does it have this and does, does it have Wi-Fi? Does it have this? Does it have that? Does it have a, they love the uh, jacuzzi. Can we get a jacuzzi? Can we, all that kind of stuff. That's, that's all the things that they want. Um, and, and all that is good. And when you think about the hotel or an Airbnb that you're staying at, you're, you're, you're thinking about your preferences. That's really what you're thinking about. Um, you're thinking about what you like, what you want, what fits your, you know, what you, all that kind of stuff. The problem, though, is that people have taken that and they've brought that into the church. And the church can then become all about me and my preferences. But the last time I checked that the church wasn't just about our preferences, it's about his purposes. It's about what, what he wants. And if we treat the church like my preferences and what is only my preferences, that's my parking spot. That's my seat. That's my this. That's my that. If you do that, here's what you're going to quickly realize is that that's short-lived because it's really not about you. And I'm going to tell you just real quick, if it's all about you, you're going to have a hard time at our Savior's church. Because it's not about us. It's about his purposes. It's about his preferences. It's about his, what God's desire is for his church. And, and this is the moment that we as a church turn inward and make it all about us. I mean, no, it's, it's over. It's over. God has called us not to be inwardly focused. He's always called to be outwardly focused. And he says, hey, open your eyes to see my purposes of what I'm doing. How many believe God's doing some incredible purposes here in Crowley and in Rain and all around here? God's purposes want to be fulfilled. How many know his kingdom come, his will be done? Y'all with me? 
That's the prayer. The prayer is less of me and more of you. But, but the, the it's about me mentality can creep in the church and we can say this. It's about me, more of me, and less of you. Now, we wouldn't say that out loud because that's outlandish. But we say that maybe in, in our actions and some of the things that we do. But what does it look like for us to, to lay down our preferences? What does it look like to lay down our plans? What does it look like to lay down our desires and our wants for his purposes? I'm going to tell you, you want to be a part of a church that is all about Jesus' purposes. And what is Jesus' purpose? Matthew 9. Let's look at it. Matthew 9 says this. And as Jesus was walking along, he, what did he do? He, come on, say it. He, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. Okay, this is, if you know the story of Matthew, Matthew is a tax collector. If you know anything about the tax collectors, tax collectors were Jewish men who had been uh, hired by the Romans to collect taxes from the Jewish people to go to Rome. So imagine you're a Jewish guy. You got hired by the people who are persecuting you and, and lording over you, and you got hired by them to take money from your own people to give it to the oppressive government. All right? Kind of like IRS now. And so... <laughs> I'm kidding. If you work for IRS, we love you. Um, I did my taxes. And so, but, but what would happen is, is these tax collectors would, would also charge a little bit extra. And so then they became thieves. So imagine how a Jewish person sees their own brother, but who's a tax collector. This is why you'll see how they described him. And so Jesus, now think about it. When Jesus is trying to pick his team, his guys that are going to be his disciples, that are going to be the one that go and change the world, he goes and he tracks down one of the most hated guys among the Jewish people, a tax collector named Matthew. And look what he says to him. He says, follow me and be my disciple. And I can imagine every Jewish person around there had their jaw on the ground. Their jaw on the ground. And Jesus said to him, so Matthew got up and he followed him. And so later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests. Watch this. Along with many other tax collectors. And guess who hang out with other tax collectors? <laughs> what, how does it describe these people? <laughs> and the most respectful people. No, <laughs> disreputable sinners. I mean, this is like what would be consumed to be the worst of the worst guys who just like nobody likes them they're outcast everywhere and so this this is all that Matthew's friends are um, they're all outcast and Jesus and his disciples are there having dinner with them and of course here we go verse 11 the Pharisees what do they do they they saw this and they asked his disciples notice they didn't even ask Jesus they asked the disciples hey what is why does your teacher eat with such <laughs> such scum now you know their view of them. And when Jesus heard this, I love this because Jesus was always eavesdropping in on conversations. I love this because sometimes Jesus didn't even have to eavesdrop. He already knew what you were thinking before you even said it. But in this moment, it says Jesus heard what they were asking his disciples. And he says, hey, I've got an answer for you. And here's my answer. Healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. Healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. Can we all be honest? When you look around this world, there's a lot of sickness. We look around our cities, there's a lot of sickness. And I'm not just talking about physical sickness. I mean, no, there's mental sickness. 
There's emotional sickness. There's worldly sickness. And, and by the way, when you think about sickness, sickness comes in all shapes and sizes. I mean, no, sickness doesn't discriminate. Black or white, there's sickness. Young or poor, there's sickness. All right? Uh, it, it doesn't matter, young or poor. Young may be poor. Um, <laughs> single, old, it doesn't discriminate within this. Uh, Jesus is saying, hey, listen, I came not just for the healthy, I came for those that are sick. And the church is not a hotel. How many know the church is a hospital? We're not a hotel for people's preferences. We're a hospital for the sick to get healthy. And so I just want to, hey, here's good news for everybody in here. If you walked in here and you've got some problems in your life, welcome. Welcome. It's okay to not be okay. But when you go to a hospital, you don't stay there to stay sick. Come on, you get into a hospital to get healthy, to get going. I don't live at a hospital. I go to a hospital so that I can go back out and make a difference. Are you all with me? And, and when you walk into a hospital, you don't have a doctor that goes, well, not only tell me what happened, why did you do that? That was stupid. <laughs> when you go into a hospital, you don't get judgment, you get treatment. Come on, somebody. And when we walk into God's church, how many know we shouldn't get judgment, we should get treatment. We should walk into God's house and he goes, listen, the church is a hospital for the sick. It's not a hotel for the saints. God has called us to come and to reach people. And the purposes of God is to reach every person with the good news of the gospel. This is his purpose. And this should be your and my purpose that we're going to reach people. But you can't reach people you can't see. So God has called us to open our eyes to see people as he sees them, which leads to number two, that not only do we want to be a church that sees his purposes, we want to be a church that sees his perspective. His perspective. We want to see as Jesus sees. I mean, no, Jesus sees things way differently than we see them. And I'm going to show it to you because in Matthew 9, verse 36, you just go a couple more verses later, and it says this, and when, speaking of Jesus, when he, here's that word again, when he saw the crowds, notice when he saw them, notice the emotional response he has. Because if I see something, I've got to do something. But before I can do something, I have to feel something. And when I see people, Jesus says this, I have compassion on them because, here's what he sees, people who are and like sheep without a shepherd, does that not describe the world we live in right now? Confused. Dear goodness, we could jump onto so many different things right now amongst our nation, whether it's with, with sexuality, whether it's with identity, whether it's with marriage, whether it's in whatever fear. So many people right now are so confused. And they are helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. And so Jesus looks at his disciples the guys who he's training up, the guys who are following him. And he says this, hey, listen, I see a crowd. I have such deep compassion because they're so broken and hurting. But I want you to hear me. The harvest is great, but the workers are few. The harvest is great, the workers are few. So pray and pray to the Lord. Now, what does he want us to pray? Pray that broken people get healed? Not necessarily. He says, I want you to pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest, and I want you to ask him to send more workers into his field. Because here's the truth. God's answer to a broken world is his church. 
It's his church. The local church is the hope of the world. And he says, when I want to fix the world, I don't just go fix their problems. I empower the church to go into these places and to preach the good news and to lay hands on the sick to, that they have been anointed and appointed for such a time as this. And oftentimes we're asking God to do something that he's asking us to do. God, would you do this? And he's like, yeah, you can. And you're like, what? No. God, why don't you call me into this? And so we need to have God's perspective. When the disciples saw a crowd, they saw problems. When Jesus saw a crowd, he saw a harvest. Y'all see what I'm saying? When, watch this. When the, when the disciples saw the woman at the well, they saw a prostitute. When Jesus saw the woman at the well, he saw an evangelist. Are y'all with me? Listen, when, 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 think about this, the disciples themselves. When people saw the disciples, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, he saw a ragtag group of people. The Bible describes them as common, uneducated men. But when Jesus saw the 12 disciples, Jesus saw future world changers. Think about this. Jesus sees things so differently than we do. When they looked at Saul, they saw a persecutor. When Jesus looked at him, he saw a church planner. When Jesus saw Lazarus, who was dead in a tomb... They saw a dead man. But when Jesus saw them, come on, he saw a testimony that was waiting to happen. Here's my question. When you look at your problems, do you see it as you see or as God sees? When you look at the people around you, do you see it as, as, as how you see it or how people say it? Or do you see it as God said? What do you see when you see people? Do you see a victim, an addict, a lost cause, an accident, a screw-up, a problem? Or do you see a son or daughter of the king, a man or woman of God, a brother or sister in Christ, someone who is in need of the incredible news of the gospel? People walk into this church every single Sunday downcast, discouraged, defeated, and deflated all the time. And, and, and here's what happens. And you ask people, how you doing? And they're like, oh, blessed and highly favored. <laughs> and then you look at their wife, and you're like, how's he really doing? Oh, not good. Not good. <laughs> not good at all. Come on, the church is the only place that we can come on and put a big old mask on and then go home and be miserable. But how I many know this should be the one place that we're most authentic and vulnerable and say, hey, how was your week? Not good. It wasn't good. It wasn't good at all. God's good, but it wasn't good. It was hard. Next time somebody asks you, you should ask them, do you really want to know? <laughs> do, you, <laughs> do you really want to know? This is, this is really where it is. But OSC crowd, I want you to hear me very closely. You have no idea how one conversation, one word of encouragement, one expression of love can change someone's life. Can change someone's life. Um, I had a lady walk into our Jennings campus one time, and she's, um, I hadn't seen her in a, in a long time, and she, she walked in, she walked in through the foyer, and I was, I was actually, I'll be honest with you, I was on my way to the bathroom. I was about to preach. She was walking in. I was walking to the bathroom, and I saw her, and as she was coming in, um, I said, hi, and I said her name, and I said, man, it's so glad to see you. I'm, I'm so excited that you're here. Uh, I haven't seen you in a while. I hope all is good. Man, I just want you to know we love you so much, and, and, and she was like, oh, that's great, and she just walked past me, and that was it. That was our interaction. Boom. That was it. I went to the bathroom, came preached, never talked to her again that whole day. That afternoon, I get a text message from this lady, or uh, actually a Facebook message from this lady. She said, Pastor Josh, I need to let you know something. And uh, she said, on my way to church, uh, I've been battling deep, deep depression for months. And on my way to church, I told God, 
if someone doesn't recognize me and if someone doesn't say my name, when I leave, I'm going to take my life. And one, just one moment of interaction between me and her. I, I would like to say it was like super spiritual and like the Lord put that on me. And I, it was just one of those things of just, man, I'm just going to love every person that crossed my path. I'm just going to try to encourage every person that crossed my path. Now I'll say this. For every one story that I have that's a God story like that, I have probably thousands where I missed it. I just missed it. I was so busy. Can, can I tell you, man, I... I God wants to use you in, in just supernatural ways and not just in church, but I'm telling you, he wants to probably use you more outside of church than anywhere else. Do you know out of the 39 miracles that are in, that, uh, out of the 30 of 49, 39 to 40 miracles that Jesus does in the New Testament, the majority of them are not in the temple. They're in the marketplace. And most of Jesus' interactions with people were disruptions. The thing is, is that we're so, so focused on what we got to do. You know, we get to Walmart, and I need my beans, and I need my meat, and I need my chicken, I need my milk, I need my stuff. <laughs> Come on, somebody. You're just on, I mean, I got to get it. I got to get it. And God will have people cross your path. And, and, and I know how you are, because you go down that aisle, and then you look, and then you like, you're like weighing out. Like, you turn down the aisle, and you see that person, and then you're weighing out in your mind. Do I have time for this? Do I have time for this? Y'all know that? Come on, don't. Listen, y'all can polish y'all's halos later, but listen to me. This is, you know what I'm talking about. Some of those people that they, like, they're just a little extra, and you just know. Like, if I, if I pull down this, it's, whoo, I don't even know if I got enough energy for this. You just know, like, it's going to be one of those. And so, and so I, I'm just encouraging us to, to be mindful of that. People don't often will, will not just remember your words, they'll remember how you made them feel. They might, not, they might forget all your words, but they'll never forget how you made them feel. And, and, and God's going, hey, listen, open your eyes. I want you to see people as I see people. And not only just seeing people as he sees them, watch this, but even seeing problems as he sees them. Because perspective is not just what you see, it's how you see and so oftentimes we can look at our problems and just, and just focus on the problem as a problem. But how many know sometimes to God a problem is an opportunity to see the glory and the power of God in incredible ways. So what is it that's going on in your life right now that you're looking at it as a problem? But the truth is, if it wasn't for that problem, you might not even be in church. If it wasn't for that problem, you might not be where you are right now. If it wasn't for that problem, yeah, it was pain. But how many know God never wastes pain? Ask Paul, who's been in prison countless times. And beat, and every time you just see it, hey, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. I don't rejoice in it, but I rejoice the God that is over it and the God that's with me. So God wants us to see his perspective. And let me give you the last one. Is God wants us to see his church, to see his passion, his purpose, his perspective, his passion. Luke 15 tells us this story. Jesus gives a parable and he says, if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them, ever say one, one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it? Now, some of this seems a bit unrealistic because truth be told, if any of you in here had a hundred dollars and you lost one dollar, but you had 99? Come on, let's be honest. We okay. We okay. We all right. We, we, we good. 
but you're going to, if you read the whole story, he doesn't just talk about sheep. He talks about coins, and then he talks about a lost son. And what he's actually telling us is not just about money. He's telling us about people. He's talking about people. That's what he's talking about. Now, how many of you in here have multiple children? You have more than one. Raise your hand. Right? Okay, we're going to pray for you, intercede for you right now. Okay. Um, let, me, let me ask you this question real quick, real quick, quick. Okay. If you, if, for those who have multiple children, if you lost one of them, would you say, well, I got two more. You know, some of you are like, depends which one. I mean, <laughs> come on, let's be honest. You're, you're like, mm, which one are we talking about? Because that, that could be my case. I mean, the Lord provided, you know. I mean, it's just the way. I, y'all are wrong. Coward, y'all. How dare y'all. <clears throat> is it the middle one? No, is it? Okay. So, um, all right, let me ask another question. How many of you in here? Okay, you're in, you're in the house of God. I know this is a cinema, but right now this is the house of the Lord. So you have to be honest. How many of you have lost a child or your children? Raise your hand. If you've lost a child. Okay, yeah. All right, hey, just want you to know, for everybody in here that's lost a child, Mary and Joseph lost Jesus. Okay, so feel good. No condemnation. And for three days. Oh, <laughs> come on now. <laughs> that's bad parenting. All right, so three days. Three days, you lost the Savior of the world. So, no biggie. <laughs> So if you ever get down on yourself, just know Mary and Joseph. I, uh, I had this one time, I'll, I'll share this and we'll close. I had this one time, it was on Halloween night. Uh, Lindsay had put me in charge. I have three boys, for those that don't know. Um, my boys are older now. They're almost all, te- I have two teenagers and one that's about to be a teenager. So pray for our house. And um, so, th- but this was many, many years ago. They were all younger and all that. And um, so I'm, I'm cooking. Lindsay's, Lindsay goes off to Walmart to do stuff, and I'm cooking. She's like, hey, you got the boys. All good, no problem. I'm doing all the stuff. My middle son um, is being a middle son. He's just, just being that. And, uh, and so I called him to me. I'm like, bro, you got you to stop that. He keeps doing it. And so I said, hey, listen, y- you need some time to yourself. I want you to go in your room, and you need to just you need to go think about some stuff. I'll, I'll be in there in a minute. So I'm cooking, doing all this stuff. He goes to the room. The other boys are playing. All's good. Probably about 20, 30 minutes goes by. Lindsay comes home. We're unloading groceries, all this stuff. She's like, where's, where's Judah? And I'm like, oh, let me tell you what's going on. This is what happened. He's in the room. He's thinking about it right now. I need to go, I need to go deal with that. So I walk into the room. No Judah. <laughs> Judah, where you at? Nothing. Crickets. All right, this is funny. Come out of the closet. Come out. Nothing. Then all of a sudden, we had like 1,100 square foot home. I mean, you could hear everything in that house, no matter where you were. And so, of course, Lindsay's like, now it's, she's like, where's my son? I mean, no, it was our son, but now it's her son. Where's our, where's my son? I'm like, babe, I, he was here. I promise you. I saw him go in the door. He's here. Judah, come on. Judah, <laughs> this ain't funny anymore. Get out. Come on. Nothing. Nothing. Now I'm like, she's like, what did you do to our son? <laughs> like, I didn't. I told you I sent him to the room. And so now we're screaming, Judah, come on, Judah, Judah. Nothing, nothing. We go outside. Judah, go in the backyard. Judah, Judah. Nothing, nothing, nothing. Now, listen, for all the, mo- all the moms in here would get this. Because it's Halloween night. So she, her mind immediately goes to, he went out the front door. And then some pedophile picked him up and he's off. I mean, that's like how it goes. I mean, no, your mind goes there like automatically real quick. 
And so she's like, somebody took them. I'm like, babe, nobody took them. Nobody took them. Nobody, I'm t- you don't know that. <laughs> I don't, but I'm just, I, I hope. <laughs> so we're like outside. I mean, we're screaming, we're screaming, screaming. So I come inside. She grabs the phone. She's calling 911. And something tells me, and of course it was the Lord, tells me, go check in your room. And so I go look in my room. I'm looking all over. And then I go to my bed, and I lift up the sheet, and he's hiding under the bed, and he's doing this. <laughs> crying, crying. I'm like, son, did you hear us calling your name? I heard. Why didn't you say anything? I didn't, I didn't want to get a spanking. I'm like, well, you're getting one now. <laughs> Because I'm getting spanked, you're getting spanked, everybody in this family's getting spanked. <laughs> so I, I pull him out and uh, I'm like, son, why didn't you? So I'm putting him on my lap. Babe, we called, we found him. She hangs up with 911. Sorry, we found him. My husband's stupid. And so <laughs> holds up the phone and I'm like, son. So I'm, I'm sitting there on, on my lap and I'm like, son, why didn't you say anything? I don't want to get a spanking. And I thought, son, what? I love you. I, I, maybe there's consequences. There is. But you got, you got you to gotta speak up when dad. Now, I want you to imagine this moment for just a moment here. Imagine we were all in the frantic search for Judah. Judah, Judah, Judah. And Josiah, my oldest son, comes up to me. And while we're all in this frantic search saying, for Judah, 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 Josiah comes up to me and says, Dad, Dad, what, son? What's for dinner? <laughs> What's for dinner? Like, son, we're looking for your brother who is lost right now. Yeah, I know. What's for dinner, though? I mean, I, I'm kind of getting kind of hungry. Like, y'all going y'all gonna to make that soon? What's going on? Like, you think about how ludicrous that is, right? Okay, so watch this. Watch this. Think about this. The Bible says that Jesus is so passionate about leaving the 99 who are good and healthy to go track down the one to find him. I want you to think about how this is. What do you think right now is on the father's heart? He's after the one. And so think about how crazy it is for me to come to God the father and go, hey, what's for dinner? Hey, what's, what's for dinner? Daddy, can you just help me find the one? Can you just help me find the one? Just help me find the one. Hey, don't worry. You're going to eat. Your stuff's going to be taken care of. You got a house, you got a place, you're good. You are taken care of. Just help me find the one. Why? Because verse 5 says, because when he's found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. And when he arrives, he'll call together his friends and his neighbors saying, rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. And in the same way, there is, what's those two words? Come on, say it. There is. Come on, say it again. There is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 who are righteous and haven't strayed away. So today, all of heaven rejoices. There's nothing that brings heaven more joy than to seeing one more child come home. One more person come home. One more family member come home. And I'm going to tell you right now, if it's your family, you're rejoicing. If it's your child, you're rejoicing. If it's your husband, you're rejoicing. 
If it's your grandmother, you're rejoicing. If it's your coworker, you're rejoicing. But we, if we can't see it, we can't reach it. And you can't reach it if you can't see it. So what is it for us to say, God, give me eyes to see people as you see them. Give me your purposes. Give me your perspective. Give me your passion for this. God, may if it's beating on your heart, beat it on my heart. God, break, your, break my heart for what breaks yours. Break my heart for what breaks yours. May I not be so consumed with my needs and my preferences and my wants that I miss out on what God's preferences, God's desire, God's will, and God wants. How many know God wants us to depopulate hell and populate heaven? Come on, somebody. Like, I listen, I want people in Crowley that want to go to hell to have to go through us to get there. You've got to go through this church to get there. We are going to proclaim the gospel. We're going to love people. We're going to care for people. We're going to reach out to people. We're going to continue to see people as broken and hurting so they can get in and get healed and get healthy and get going. Come on, we're, going to, we're raising up an army of people that are on mission, not for our own preferences. How many know when you get in the mission, when you get in the army, it's what he wants, not what you want. So today, every and every day, we wake up and say, God, not my will be done, but your will be done. God, today, help me see people as you see them. God, I pray, Lord, as I go to Walmart and I go and do all my errands and as I go to work, God, would I just see my work not as a problem or, or just a place to get a paycheck, but come on, can my work possibly have some mission to it that, God, you've put broken people around me that I can lay hands on the sick even in my workplace and believe for them to be recovered and healed, that if I'm flipping burgers, come on, I can still be sharing the love of Jesus to people no matter where God's got you, whether you're a teacher or you're in the oil field or you're going to Walmart or you're going to a restaurant right after this. Come on, how many know we can be praying for people, seeing people, loving people, and God, as God puts people in your way, he wants you to interact with them. He wants his church to interact with them. And our greatest ability is our availability. And I want to end with this. 1 Corinthians 9 says this. I love it how it says it in the message translation. I become just about every sort of servant there is. This is Paul, the Apostle Paul speaking. In my attempts to lead those I meet into a God-saved life. I did all this because of the message. I didn't just want to talk about it. Come on, somebody. I wanted to be in on it. I don't want to just talk about it. I want to be in on it. Listen to me closely. You cannot take possessions to eternity, but you can take people. We can't take people. How many of you right now in this room have a family member, a coworker, someone that is in your sphere of influence that is far from the Lord and you know if they were to die today, there's a possibility they might not go to heaven. I want you to, I want you to raise your hand all across this room. All right, now would you do this? Would you just keep that hand up and we're gonna pray. Let's pray right now. Father, I pray right now for every person with hands raised that has someone in their life that is far from you. Your word says, God, that you came not just for the healthy, but you came for the sick. You came for the broken. You came for those who are in need of the saving grace of Jesus and your mercy and your love. And so, Father, right now, I pray that these weren't just be people that we know of. I pray that you would put them on our heart, that our heart would burn the same way your heart burns for these people. Lord, no matter how far they are, your gospel can reach them. Lord, your hand is not too short. God, 
God, I thank you, Lord, that they are not too far from the grace of God, the mercy of God, the love of God. And I pray, Lord, that you would arrest their hearts in Jesus' name. I pray for every person that's in here that you would give them the, the, the ability and the wisdom and the knowledge of how to reach these people. God, that we love them as you love them. We serve them as you serve them. God, that our life would be an example of the grace and the goodness of God in our lives. And I pray, Lord, that we would see more people in these coming weeks and months and years turn to you. God, we thank you, Lord, that you are calling heaven down on earth. God, may it be in Crowley as it is in heaven. May it be in Rain as it is in heaven. God, may it be in Morris and Gadon as it is in heaven. Lord, help us to be extensions and conduits of the grace and the love and the mercy of God. Open our eyes, God, to see as you see. Open our hearts to love as you love. God, help us to see people as you see them. Love people as you love them. Speak to them as you would speak to them, God. Lord, we thank you for your purposes and your perspective and your passion. God, thank you that you loved us. You forgave us. You healed us. You blessed us. So now help us in return begin to give to people what was given to us. Lord, we pray all this today in Jesus' mighty name. And all God's people said, amen. Come on, let's give Jesus.